Episode 17, we, as we stated last week, we were bringing Octavio Paz to the to the table. This was a joy. I think this was a real joy to read. Incredible. Um, it's it's so good to sit down. It was you, right, who said we should we should study people's letters, men's letters. Yeah. Well, uh, to add to that, the essay is also a, an important thing to dive into, and not just stay in the fiction. True. Fictional realm. You need to you need the people to be able to analyze the world too. True. Yeah, there's so many different ways to do it. I just finished reading Zorba the Greek by, by Nikos Kazantzakis. It's gonna, when you die, your gravestone is going to say, here lies Manasseh the Greek. <laughs> <laughs> I actually, I want to, I want to, well, at some point I'll start working on that. I want to do the gravestone thing. Or I don't know what I'll do. Maybe my books will be my gravestones. There's a stack. No, no, I don't want to do that. That's too that's too morbid for my life right now. But I loved that book. Why did I bring it up? Because it was a very precise um, philosophical novel without being on the nose philosophical pretentious almost not pretentious it, it's just it's not even that at all it's just it's, it's just telling it's just it's just a story it's complete show no tell show no tell oh that's that's good show no tell that's what everybody tries to do so many people try to do it and there are even moments actually in the book when he's Kazantzakis is um waxing philosophical but he's doing it in the language of the everyman through the vo- the mouth of an everyman who's simultaneously this like old version of Dionysus mm. um oh, I'm getting a call but yeah it was it was just so good and for a long time I've been thinking okay if I want to really know what people think if I want to really see a, a subject analyzed properly and honestly I have to do it by reading people's letters yeah well sometimes in the letters you don't really get as thorough of thought so then you're like okay well I'll read I'll read people's essays and you don't usually expect like a, a serious philosophical examination of something unless you're reading you know Dostoevsky or well I mean a lot of people do do it but they don't do it really in high quality and with mm. style. But reading Zorba the Greek, I was reminded that, oh yeah, the novel is really powerful. And, you know, people are always saying, well, the novel is dead. And I think in certain ways... People are saying it? Oh, yeah. Who's saying it? A lot of people. People have been saying that the novel has been dead since Ulysses. Oh, come on. Yeah. I don't think... Those people wear scarves, you know? Yeah. Really tight. Really tight. <laughs> they need to loosen the scarf. <laughs> I, I don't know. Maybe. Maybe it's true. I don't... I don't think it's true, though. Zorba the Greek made me think that it's actually not true, that there's still ground to be covered. Yeah. Even though it was published in, like, 
I don't know, maybe the 40s? Um, 41 or something like that? That's I think, I think right that, in the war? Yeah. It's like, you know, those, those, the world could end. I think I should write this book. It, it was amazing. It was amazing. And... Now, where's Kazanzaki's from? I don't want to... I mean, it sounds like we should just break our rule and read this book and do a thing he, on it, but is he, he is from, is I mean, he from Athens? It, is he he's from? a Greek, so he's basically an American, in my opinion. <laughs> uh, I don't know where he's from. But he is from... He, he's a Greek author? Is, he's is, a Greek author. He's not an American Greek? No, no, he was from... Hyphenated Greek. I think he was from Crete. Okay. And... Uh, yeah. Also, he did the whole. He was a, a wandering scholar. Mm. You know, he was in Paris, and then he was in Berlin, and he traveled all over the world and did, you know, travel writing. Obviously, this podcast is not about Nikos Kazantzakis, but you you brought that up, and it, it no, I didn't. It just came to my mind. <laughs> I didn't. Well, the idea. Well, the idea of. Nice uh, if you want to really, that. if you want to really know what people think, like read their letters. I also think that rule I just applies to some novels. I guess so, yeah. because also, okay, so here it is. Maybe it's that if a person is a novelist and you want to know what they really thought, you should read their letters. Mm. But if a person is, let's say, a philosopher. Which Kazantzakis was. He studied philosophy. You should read their novels. And you want to know what they really thought, you should read their novels. Ooh. Or maybe their poetry. I think maybe that's what the dynamic is. That it's that's interesting. Kind of underneath it all. Now what about the people who don't write either? Uh, save. Okay, so pause. But Interestingly, this is a great segue into sure. here. Was a poet. And... As we have seen in these essays, in The Labyrinth of Solitude, he was also a very high-quality historian on the level of a Spengler or even a Durant, and he mentioned some others, but um, yeah, he's very good. Admittedly, I jumped into this book blindly. Just started reading that first essay. Mm-hmm. No, no, I didn't. I didn't even do a search on his name. I don't. I know he's from Mexico. Yeah. I don't know how old he was when he died. I don't know the actual basic facts, which is usually something you would do, right? To sort of get the background of the writer. Yeah, I'm trying to find out. What but he I, is. I just sort of just jumped into this. I, I ended up doing it. You know, at some point I read about his politics about how he. Lean socialist, but like many during, you know, Spanish Civil War or whatever, he jumped from the communist train. He wasn't a, and he was casted out by all the, you know, the, the communists, the tribe of communists. Right. Because um, they were all in the literary community. Mm-hmm. But he never became a conservative. He became essentially what we would call a traditionalist socialist. Yeah. Which, man, when I see that label, I think that's, that speaks to me. <laughs> yeah. And then I read his essays, or I read his essays and I saw that label attached to him. Basically, what that does is that that label 
right. or some variation of what I'm talking right. about gets everyone to hate you. <laughs> like, le- you know, everybody on both sides tr- fails to understand you. Right. And uh, he became one of those figures who, uh, you know, as evidenced in these th- these pages and writing on solitude and the identity of the, the Mexican mostly male I would say man mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. Is, it has a very strong the identity that he's really speaking towards is of the yeah. masculine yeah he expresses the necessity of the feminine through the maternal but the whole identity thing that he's untangling here and he's getting to the big thing is the identity of the Mexican man mm. and the things that have severed that man from tradition or even from forming the tradition, right? In the first place, because what it, what even is the what even does it mean to be Mexican is really the the question, and what does it mean to be Mexican and to know you are is the question that seems to be posed, right? By him, do you have any? What do you think uh, about that, my half Mexican brother? <laughs> <laughs> well. I really enjoyed reading this sure. because I think that it's important for people to know their history, to know the history of their blood. Where has your blood been? If you went and asked that question to... It just sounds so dark. Just, yeah, maybe maybe it does sound it dark. Sounds like mine kind of But this is, this is a... It's actually... This is a traditional question that people have... have thought was totally normal to discuss it, yeah. for tens of thousands of years at least. It's just so where, it's where so Evola like. Right. Let's talk about the true, magic true, of true. the True, true, Yeah, the magic of the blood. <laughs> but okay, now because we're so anti historical, we get offended by a question that no, has to offended. do with No, I'm I'm not saying yeah. you are, but our culture is offended by questions that link us to history, such as where is your blood from? And Why is that? Why? Well, because it's necessary for the things that he talks about, reform movements that he discusses. Yes. Porfirio Diaz, and he talks about the revolutionary movements. Yes, yes. To sever you from those things. Right. In order to institute the, the, the really the liberal world exactly. order over your society. E- the it, equality before the law had to get get rid of equality before God. Right. Which is what they had, kind of, with uh, the Catholic Catholics. He credits paradigm. Catholicism at least a little bit. You know, yeah, I think quite a bit. And I know that. True. I don't think he's he's not doing it from a pro-Catholic perspective. No, 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 no. He's definitely doing it. Actually, he does it in such an even-handed fashion. He says the conquistadors came over, completely leveled all traditional religious institutions in the Americas, at least Central and South, completely leveled. But they did something, the Spanish, the Iberian conquistadors did something different than the Anglos did for the Native American Mm -hmm. Indians of North America, which was that after they decimated everything... Uh, well, decimated is not actually the right word. I'll say leveled again. After they leveled everything... Colonized. And, yeah, yeah, and began to colonize the whole thing, they put a different religion in its place, which allowed the people to still have 
an identity of sorts or a relation to the divine. And that was through Catholicism. But the Protestantism of North America didn't do that. Didn't do that. Even though they tried it? Well, they did kind of, they did try, and depending on who you read, they did offer the Native American Indians the option to join the westward expansion. force. Well, there was also force, uh, they used force, but... um, Maybe it was just that the the North American Indians didn't embrace the Anglo religion as uh, do, do you, do you, sincerely or maybe en masse but, in the same way um, as the South American Indians did. But wouldn't you wouldn't and you Central argue American. that Catholicism has a lot more to offer to societies that are looking at material because of the ritualistic elements of it, the beauty built into it. And the Protestantism is just too. It, it it's just loose, and it's and it's almost. Um, well, I think maybe the word you're that tradition is built into Catholicism. I would say and it, much it's more, a lot more orderly, right? There's yeah. like you have the mass, you have the buildings. Mm-hmm. The buildings are oriented Sacrament. in a certain way, exactly. And you don't need. You don't need to use raw gunpoint force as much because building into that, built into the order, is the mechanisms to convert a society. The orderliness. Yeah, yeah. No, they did use force. It kind of is actually even a pattern for society. It's like a micro pattern. Mm. I almost sound like I'm shilling for the Catholic Church. No, we know know that's not happening. (laughs) But I stay with us another hour. I will say, in fairness, that they do have a kind of microcosm of civilization. Just in in an individual Catholic Church, you could probably, you know, model a whole. Society off of it, which it was, um, but no, you can't really do that in the same way with a Protestant church. Now, now depending on this, on the strain. Now, the reason, right? But the big, but the there's a reason to that built into Catholicism. Does, beyond that, what does he say? Um, in, in his essay here on. Forgive me for pronunciation. Sons of La Malinche. Malinche? Malinche? Malinche. 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 I don't remember. Uh, Where is it? The conception, uh, you know, from page 80 onward, um, the conception of conception, sex, is violence. And the mother uh, figure, as we know, mostly, most strongly in Catholicism is Mary. Mm-hmm. The introduction of Mary as sort of um, uh, a an antidote to that to that initial violence that all of society is built on. La because she is the virginal mother. Yeah. Right. And this is most strongly pronounced in Catholicism, out of mm-hmm. out of uh, any of the traditional, you know, Christian, Christian strains. Strains. But but to have the roots of a faith be built on the virginal birth, yeah. it, it puts. And this is why you know you go up the road, 
it's funny. Uh, not you know, funny. I'm not laughing, but uh, but some of the art is a little a little uh, funny. Yeah. <laughs> but you go to the store, the, some of the Mexican stores in town, you will see images more than of Christ. Oh, oh yeah. Of the Mary, of course. And this yes. they, this book had me thinking of this. Yeah. I'm seeing the they no, love it is Mary, funny. It is funny but because Mary is seen as the anti-violence. She's seen as the beyond the thing. She's the ultimate anchor, right? It's funny because it's quizzical in this context for us because we don't have that same we philosophy as uh, Anglo-Americans. Like, even though I'm Speak half, for yourself, even, <laughs> even though I'm half. Half of me doesn't have the context. The other half does. No. Um, I'm an Italian. I'm not even white, okay? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, you're a warm white. <laughs> I'm warm. I'm a, you're an olive I'm not white. a dusty. <laughs> you're a green olive. Uh, but it is funny because I have seen... I've driven by there. Actually, I go get tacos at that truck pretty often. Shout out, Jose's. Yeah, they're so good. They're good. But... Every every time I see outside. all of the, you know, the Mary dolls yeah. just standing there, I love Mary, and like in the pink, in the middle of this pink shining, I don't even want to describe it too too much, but this aura of pinkness in this certain shape, it's just, it's interesting. It it is a kind of uh, it is worship of the feminine in a very sexual way I will say but it's and I think some of them are aware of it but some of them aren't I don't know I don't know if I agree with that I I really think it's the worship of the pure woman the purity the idea of things that don't really exist right on the face of it it well, I don't even know if it is on the face of it, but at least the way that people profess, they say, oh, we're, we're worshiping the pure Mary. But it's a very uh, explicit image anytime you see the Mary standing in the middle of that pink aura. You know what I mean? Well, I suppose. It is an interesting thing. But yes, he does talk about about the feminine, actually, um, being represented in either the state or religion. Never really um, in the individual female. Mm. Uh, for whatever reason. It's probably actually in that one essay that where he's talking about the Day of the Dead. I think he talks about the romance between men and women and how they court. And actually also it, in this, in the, the essay in chapter 6. Yeah. This is probably Talks about where, it a little bit where he gets the image of woman is destroyed after the courtship, right? By almost, and that's sort of the the as soon as women give themselves in the culture to men, right? Anyway, it's sort of it's almost like why the fuck did you do that? Right. Then the ideal image of, of the woman is, is gone, right? Because yeah. she's a mother now, or she's either a mother or she just has not a virgin anymore. She's had sex, oh, yeah, you know, yeah, and. Yeah. and it's, right, she's not eternally a virgin. It's the like ultimate. Uh, it's the ultimate, really conservative version of, um, you know, if a guy does something with a woman, mm-hmm. it's fine or whatever. And if, a, but if a woman does the same thing, she's whorish. 
Yeah, it's it's sort of that, but through a, a, a philosophically rooted lens, right? And um, <clears throat> that's something that that's that weaves its way into the machismo and and how men are uh, sort of perceive themselves to be within the culture itself. <clears throat> yeah, how they frame things in their relationships, and right? Um. I've done a lot of reading about American history over the past few years, as I know you have, too. And I find it interesting when I inspect my own mind and memory and thoughts that I just never even considered that Mexico would have a an intellectual and a historian for its own country of this caliber, which I also recognize is a ridiculous statement and a ridiculous, you know, uh, like buried orientation that I was unaware of to have toward another country. But I really have to say that I didn't realize this until I started reading The Labyrinth of Solitude by Octavio Paz and and saw what an amazing writer and historian and even philosopher this man was. And he was born in uh, 1914, lived till 1998. Um, in chapter four... Of, I, just, I just want to say real quick about that. I think the reason is the, the way we're fed propaganda on Mexico and mm-hmm. Mexicans mm-hmm. is one of... Um, Whatever whatever is coming from Mexico to here is something we just don't want. It's sort of what we're we're instructed to believe, right? As uh, the as Donald Trump said, they're not sending their best. But but that's not even and, and the ironic thing about that is that's not even that's not even Mexico sending. I know, sending, I know. It, it's you know, it's not, just Mexico's it's actually, a land bridge now, right? Because uh, Mexico's actually doing pretty well. People are moving to Mexico. Concerning things. Right. Americans are moving to Mexico. The problem now. with Mexico is America, which is, you know, is the True. United and, States. And what, China. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it, Mexico, Mexico's problems are mostly along the border. I mean, there are problems in the country like anywhere else, but right. they're, the heart of their issue is at the border, the poor border towns, the cartels, the human trafficking. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and these are the things that we associate. We don't really associate Mexico beyond the border. We don't think about cities like Guadalajara. Exactly, exactly. Or Mexico City. Yes. Sometimes, you know, people think of Cancun because that's where yeah. I go to get drunk. And, right, right. But Guadalajara is supposedly one of the most beautiful cities in the world. And it's a, a, one of the most culturally proficient. And sure. It's be- you know, it's architecturally. Yeah, yeah. I've never been, but I I would like to go there. Yeah, you know, but people don't. Americans aren't going to a know what that city is. Guadalajara is a great song. Or have you been there? No. Or <laughs> or um, or think that it's a place worthy of going. And you talk to the average American uh, person, you know, just good American. Yeah, and they're gonna say, "Oh, Mexico's got it's just problems." It's right. like, yeah. What do you all think you the world says the... about Chicago? <laughs> right, right, right. What do you think people say about Chicago and other countries? A thousand dead, right, in a year. 
Yeah, it's year. wild. Do you think people look at America and say that's what the, that's the ideal? No, this, right. this country has problems. I love it, but you know, right. come on, real, right. realism has to. Right, everybody has their their New Jersey. <laughs> I, I hated uh, I, I hate throwing New Jersey. See that Juarez just on now. the border is definitely just Trenton. <laughs> right. Oh, man. What? You hate that? No, fuck New Jersey. I'll, I'll, yeah, yeah, of course you would say that. South Jersey rules because my friend lives there. Listen, but, I don't know anything about New Jersey. I've only been to... I've only been there a handful of times. All right. Well, the turnpike, if you drive it north to I've south. I've been to Deal, okay? What's that? Is that a town? Exactly. Exactly. It's uh, No, New Jersey's fine. I don't have a problem with it. Uh, south Jersey's actually beautiful. It's it's really nice. The thing is, growing up in Hawaii ruined all beaches for me. <laughs> because people are like, oh, yeah, the beaches. Beaches in Florida, beaches in California. I had someone from Santa Barbara tell me, oh, Santa Barbara is just the best place on the planet. I'm like, have you been to Hawaii? You know. Well, that's no. what happens if you talk to somebody who's smoking crack behind a dumpster. They oh can tell you that. Oh, gosh. <laughs> it's just like there are no beaches like Hawaiian beaches. I don't know what to tell you. Hawaii is a place I'd like to go. I do think that there's something mystical to the the Oregon coast and the Maine coast, sort of the north rocky coastlines. Oh, yeah. And, well, and they're the, very mythic. Yeah. Many, many shipwrecks. There's just storms. You can feel that. It's heroic. You feel it in the fog coming over the rocks. Oh, my gosh. And then the, the I haven't been to Maine, but I've spent, oh, I lived in the northwest. I lived in Oregon for a while on the coast. Well, Oregon's coast is definitely different it's, than Maine's, but Maine's is that rocky like, shore. Cool and misty. Yeah, don't you love that though? For I love reasons? it. Actually, i i could I could live there for a while on the coast. Your brother, Cannon Beach. Ah, oh, it's my favorite. Right, it's my favorite. Oregon, live on you know. the cliff, looking over the beach. Oh man, with a haystack rock. I yeah. love that. Town. I've been a few times, and every time I go there, I feel that that like yeah, this makes sense. Well, just the coast. Yeah, the the Pacific Coast highways. But there are a lot of towns in, in Oregon that don't do it for me, though. But well, if you go inland, it gets no, kind of... Oh, really? There's a lot of, um, like, just not nice towns right on the water. Yeah, well, I'll say this. Tillamook is pretty stinky, but they make great dairy products. Cheese? Yeah. From Oregon? Yeah. Did oh. you know that? No, I didn't. I thought it was New York. No, no. Tillamook is Oregon cheese. Best cheese. Stinky, huh? Is that what you buy? Yeah. All right, we're off topic here. <laughs> Buy Tillamook Cheese, our new sponsor. <laughs> Man, we got to call them. <laughs> so, we read most of this, but given it's basically a collection of essays, we're going we're gonna to pick and choose, I think. And the essays that I think that we we sort of really wanted to talk about were The Day of the Dead. Yeah. Um, we talked a little bit about the sons of La Malinche. Well, yeah, I wanted to, I wanted to give a dead, little quote from that, actually. Which one? From the sons of La Malinche. Okay, so we'll start with that one. We'll start here. <clears throat> Continue with this one. So, go ahead. So, really, it, it was going off of my, my uh, I don't know, loose orientation towards Mexico that I was unaware of, which... Um, lends itself to this little line here. He says, Paz says, The European considers Mexico to be a country on the margin of universal history, 
and everything that is distant from the center of his society strikes him as strange and impenetrable. This is that's exactly what you were just talking. That's about. what I was saying. I didn't. I was unaware that that was even in my mind. Of course, I'm sure I picked it up over time and from the culture and you know all the large arcs of history that are pressing in upon us and impressing themselves on us. But yeah, I. It's it's completely true. It's like Mexico. What if Mexico is like? I don't know. America's annoying little brother who doesn't speak English. Now, how do you think Russia got around that? What do you mean? Well, let's just say, yeah, I mean, Octavio Paz is a great writer, thinker, you know, man of ideas. And there are many in in Mexico. There are, are, you know, Pablo Neruda in Chile and... Mm. uh, um, it's, it's slipping my mind. Hundred Years of Solitude. Uh, Marquez, Gabriel Garcia Marquez, and also uh, Chile, also or is it Argentina? I don't remember where he's from. And a, a very rich historical, uh, a rich literary tradition from, from oh. south of our border. But oh yeah, they all get lumped into that. Yeah, you know, and, and we only have extracted some of those writers. Writers Cortazar. See, I don't. I'm not familiar. But Russia, which has always been seen in the West as an as adversarial at best, really. Mm-hmm. I want to say always because for the last hundred years, anyway, that's not an always, but it's they've been an adversary. But they produce people in the canon who maybe are high, are more revered literarily than. Anyone, any anywhere. True. <laughs> and even though they're they're not a culture we believe in the exports of. Mm-hmm. That even goes down. We don't we don't believe in their vehicles. We don't believe in their their engineering. Russian vehicles. Oh yeah, we don't. No one drives Russian cars. You know, they make them. Like what? What do they make? Exactly. They make them. Really? They make motorcycles. Yeah, they make all that shit. Interesting. Of course they do. Yeah, they make all that stuff. They, but no one, no one believes in their exports. They don't make TV. No, I thought they only made Eastern but, Orthodox Church. But, they, but they, right? But I thought they exactly only right. printed hundred-year-old novels. I thought their entire that's the economy thing. was based on book sales. Their exports are their literary giants: Dostoevsky, Tolstoy, right, Chekhov, Turgenev. These are names that are that just. I've never read Turgenev, but Turgenev's name. Is Sons that, and is Lovers, it, isn't that? No, that's D.H. Lawrence. Smoke. No. no. So, uh, fathers and Sons. Fathers and Sons. Freaking name. Sons and Lovers is D.H. Lawrence. You're right. Uh, fathers and Sons. But I've never read these books, but I knew those names burned into my frontal cortex, you know? I, I couldn't tell you. I did not know Octavio Paz before you introduced this book to me. I only learned about him from my mom right. a couple years ago. And your mom is... Mexican. Full Mexican. Yeah. Right? I mean, it's like full American, but let's not get into it. <laughs> but but she's... Yeah, she was born in Mexico. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she's... Yeah. So, um, so it's just an interesting quote because it's true. There are certain countries and cultures that have... They're considered backwaters, really. But is they're they, like they're they're not protagonists on the world stage by any stretch of the imagination. What are they? And this is the whole question. 
exactly. no identity. Lost right. in solitude. Mexico is a country of solitude. That's, and that's probably, his thesis. It probably does have to do, and he does mention this at certain points, it does have to do probably with being in proximity to the United States, which has immense main character energy um, and always has and probably always will. Like, we either will be the main character in the story of the world or we'll just die. Like, because we're... I think we're going to die. <laughs> hopefully not. But th- I'm just saying that's kind of the spirit of America. It's like all or nothing, even in folly. We need Mexican Trump. Donaldo Trumpo. <laughs> Donaldo Trump. I follow that account. The mustache? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> si, senor. Yeah, yeah, it's so funny. Senor Donaldo Trumpo. <laughs> okay, so what were you going to say about this essay? Well, it's it's still in the same essay. Uh, there are so, There's so much to say, but there's uh, page 66. He says, I want to talk about this idea with you because you have big ideas. You have also thoughts on this. When a contemporary novelist introduces a character who symbolizes health or destruction, fertility or death, he rarely chooses a worker, despite the fact that the worker represents the death of an old society and the birth of a new. And it goes on. <laughs> it goes on. I the highlighted next page. the exact same. That's sentence. so funny. The great revolutionary novels, the proletariat again does not provide the heroes, merely the background. Um, the worker ultimately he resembles his boss because they are both sons of the machine. I feel like this is his agreement with you on great man history, great man protagonist. Right, right. Um, but I immediately thought that he was incorrect. Interesting. Only because I feel like... Well, because you're an Orwell head. But there are heroes... But but I will say that the worker can never be the hero if he stays the worker. Right. He has to leave the factory. Right, right. right. I think that's more in line, actually, with what he's saying. He also says, also, the worker is too recent, and he resembles his boss, because they are both both sons of the machine. Right, that's what I was, yeah. Yeah. So, it's, it's, uh, you have, the worker has to leave the machine. Exactly, in order order to become a hero. hero. How that relates... He's so freaking good. It is so good, but it's like... All his pages... Every page, I just... You could talk about that forever. We got ink on everything. Fertility or death. He doesn't choose a worker. Even though the worker is part of the new society, really it's just the soil to the plant, but it's not the plant itself. It's new soil. But it's not... um, Yeah. If you think about someone, a protagonist like Tom Jode which I know you haven't read Grapes of Wrath, but I know you're familiar with the the general idea of the Oki yeah, migrating yeah, to yeah, California yeah. and the Dust Bowl. And Tom Jode is the worker. Mm-hmm. But when he goes on the journey to California, he's no longer in the field. Mm-hmm. So he's no longer the worker. Yeah, he's not part he leaves. of... If his whole story was being told from the factory... Not, not the part field, of the farm. Right. What... And it ends with him just dying as a worker. He doesn't go on the hero's journey. Mm-hmm. And that's, uh, that makes me think about this whole, the whole thing about the Mexican identity that he's getting at. It's like, well, is this a society that has not 
been able to go on its hero's journey. Oh, interesting. The United States has been able to do this. We've, we did this at Manifest Destiny. Right. Uh, and many would argue that's not true, but we've done this. It is true. We did do it with Manifest Destiny, and anyone who disagrees is wrong. I don't know what to tell you. Just read a book. Well, Howard Not a Zinn. book, but I'll, t- I'll tell you some books to read. Howard Zinn. Okay, he wrote a... <laughs> There's a reason that the word Zinn rhymes with sin. Oh. It has Kabbalic, gematric significance. Oh, boy. Maxwell. Maxwell. <laughs> uh, so... Really interesting point on that, though. I mean, do you think that's true? Has it gone on the hero's journey as a country? Well, how would they go on? What does it look like? Okay, well, here's the answer. Um, Pause quoting or paraphrasing Ortega y Gasset. Have you read him? Mm -mm. Really good. Revolt of the Masses. I think is what the book is called. Hmm. Read it like five years ago. Amazing. The whole thing is worth highlighting. You might as well just not highlight it and just read it because it's the whole thing is uh, it's incredible. But he says here, Paz does quoting Gasset more or less. A nation is not really a nation unless it has both a past that influences it inactively and a valid historical project that is capable of animating dissimilar spirits and of giving unity and transcendence to solitary efforts. Um, He goes on to say somewhere else, basically repeating this line in so many words, that a nation can only exist if it has a transcendent purpose. And that probably is one of the hard things for Mexico is that it, it it's constantly had to look back in its varying revolutions to like get the bonds of of the death cults hmm. which the conquistadors were part of taking those bonds off of these Central and South American uh, natives they got the the bonds of the, the death cults thrown off, but then they got a different death cult in Catholicism, and it had its problems. And then they had to get that thrown off, but then they had the aristocratic children of the people who were in charge during the Catholic era then being in charge, and everybody was still... Well, not everybody, but the people who were in the fields were still relegated to the fields. There was no way to get out. There was no way to leave the farm or leave the machine. They were stuck there. So all of their revolutions have been about trying to get away from the bondage of the past in, when the past was bondage. There, was, there is a moment in one of his essays, I think in essay six, where he talks about how... Uh, one of the dictators, I forget his name. Is it Porfirio Diaz? Diaz. Uh, he re- this is in, in is it independence in the yeah who's, revolution. He's a bit of a traditionalist in certain ways, and instead of being liberal or conservative or neoconservative, he's re-uptaking 
certain aspects of the indigenous traditions, namely concerning property ownership. And I forget what the thing was called. It starts with a C, but it was some institution where the peasants or their tribes would own a plot of land. And as long as they worked it and maybe paid a small tax on it, they could keep it. It was theirs. And so they actually had a stake in the state, basically. And Diaz reinstates that. And that's where Paz is talking about how, well, he's offering up this thing that is is actually very popular in conversation today, which is this idea of returning to tradition. Now, I don't think that returning to tradition blindly is good because a lot of traditions are really just old wineskins and we are new wine and we need to be put into new containers, not these old used up ones. But the dimensions of the old containers are important. It's important to know how were things built so that you can be kind of archaeo-futuristic about your future. Mm. And that's also something, I I underlined it, but I, I can't find it right now. But that's another thing that Paz talks about is about the future of Mexico being them as a nation orienting themselves towards the future consciously. If they can orient themselves towards the future, like we are here because of what we're going to become, not because of who we were, then something good can come about. Then maybe they can achieve their heroic destiny if there is one, which I think there is. But what gets in the way of that is the positivism he's talking about. Right. Which is... This philo- philosophic nonsense. Which is it's just liberalism. Uh, building... It's meant to justify the machine. Right. It's just building on a foundation of sand, really. Right. Uh, any idea that you have. Um, which is, you know, re- religion, as we said earlier, provided that foundation. Just like Catholicism being incorporated wasn't just this terrible evil it it established some sort of tradition for them but led me to the thought that maybe the you know liberalism fails for that reason perhaps that's why it is now a religion Mm. it is I've I've said it is the new conservatism Mm -hmm. it's not neo yeah neo conservatism but the, the tenets and the structure of the elimination of tradition now has a priesthood and a casthood and a, of course, and a, yeah, there that's is why there it's so is dangerous. a caste. There is a caste. That's right. That's why it's so dangerous, though, mm-hmm. because we know we would take for granted that this would fail if it if it was just these ideas. But the fact that it's built, it's being built on on a new tradition. Mm-hmm. We can't take for granted that it's going to fail, right? Even though its its governing principles are a failure, right. and they're they're opposed to truth, they're opposed to really everything that's good. I'm not sure that's going to fail. Hmm. Not inherently. Interesting. That's why there is such a, a call to return to traditions, but people are just like, "Well, I'll just go to, I'll just 
you know, put on the Catholic cloak or I'll put on. I think failure I'll just go is. Go back to the Baptist Church. Or, really, like, that's is not going to be the answer. Liberalism, though, because it literally cannot reproduce. It, mm. It's an ideology that is. Um, what is the word? Well, that's why it wants the kids. <laughs> that's why it wants the kids. Because yeah. literally because doesn't people, reproduce. The, yeah. the people don't. The people who embrace liberalism do not reproduce. And now liberalism, At least not in reproducible numbers. Liberalism as a, as a <clears throat> philosophical topic is not being a liberal. Right. These are neocons. These are people who are... Every, every political faction in the United States of any entertaining weight... Mm-hmm. Is a liberal faction, right? It's not until you get outside of that. You, most of the people who aren't liberals, it's all, different. Stra- don't vote. Different strains of materialism, really. You want some? Most people who are outside of it, though, they don't vote, right? You know, he's like he's not. He's not a liberal. Oh, is he conservative? No, these people we don't vote. <laughs> we don't <laughs> believe. You're, you're with kind. Well, now, eh? yeah, at this point, yeah. We don't believe that there's a meaningful distinction, metaphysically, to yeah, be had okay, between I, political I, parties. Because yes. people like, you know, I mean, think about it. Think about what the what the what the main you know what what conservatives say in this country. I they know. go around, they go around the world and they're like, well, you know, you couldn't get away with that in this in this country. Why don't you move there? Like our country's so good, we tol- we tolerate this thing. It's like, yeah, yeah, no kidding. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, but be more specific. Tolerate what? What's an example? Uh, well, uh, gender ideology. Yeah. You know. Well, you know. You should stand up for Iran because of our people in Iran because they're trying to get this stuff that we believe in exporting. Right, right. It's like maybe culture doesn't want it. Right. You know? It's Yeah, well it reminds me of recent fiascos with the uh the World Cup, you know. Right. When who was it? People in Dubai? Different uh princes and Moguls mm-hmm. saying, "Listen, we're not interested in your ideology or your little pet righteous causes. Like this is a different society. We have different values, and quit trying to push your shit on us." Right? Wasn't Dubai though? No. What was it? Did you say Dubai? I did. I don't remember where it was. I didn't watch it. Um, I've been ignoring the news. So I have no idea what you're talking about. All right, we had a little heater a little issue. We, yeah. we paused for a second, but we're back. Um, <clears throat> so we were. You just sort of mentioned the the the, the importation of culture, soccer, football. I think you. Oh, very very. You know. Ibero-American it art form. <laughs> oh, it did. Shit. <laughs> Oh no! I don't, I don't know. know. I'll have to figure it out yeah. afterwards. But yeah. Meanwhile, we'll just be we'll start seeing our breath pretty soon. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, what? Why uh, does the house have a a gas heater? Did you install it? It's oil, oil, oil furnace. Yeah. You Did installed it? that? No, it's, it's it came with the house. Yeah, it came with the house. Nice. That's old school. Yeah. It's cool, though. Well, when it works. 
Like literally cool though. Yeah. It's getting, it's getting cold right now. No, I'm kidding. It is. It's not up to temp, so. Really? There's about 66 in here now. Oh. Yeah. Well, my main concern is just the books, man. You just don't want your books to get cold. Is that true? I mean, that's what I think about. I'm like, are my books going to get cold and moldy? Do they get moldy from cold? Mm, no, mostly from humidity. Humidity, yeah. But the cold, I don't know. I had that one, I had the St. Augustine book out in the shop for a while, and the propane heat, propane heat is very moist. Mm. And I thought, well, I should bring that in. It's a nice copy of it, City of God. Yeah. So... Have you read the, the McCarthy yet? No, no, I haven't, I haven't touched it yet. I haven't touched it. Just sitting up there. It, it'll, it'll, it'll get hold, its day. Holding its value. It'll get its day. <laughs> <laughs> it'll get its day. So, to conclude our, our the Sons of La Malinche, La Malinche chapter there, I did underline the fact that on page 88 he says the reform movement is the great rupture with the mother. And I already talked about that idea that he sort of expounds upon. Uh, and that, you know, yes, in breaking with traditions, yes, but it breaks with the idea of the virginal purity sure. altogether. Well, it's also interesting, as a large arc contrast, that the the worship of the sun is a masculine religion. Mm. It's always been masculine. And so to change to worship of the mother is kind of an antithetical thing to do. And so they they have at least these two big religious movements of very masculine and then stark difference in being very feminine. Right. So maybe the next movement out of that is some kind of synthesis or just total opposite back to the solar monotheism in some fashion. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll see. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting. It, we could really get into it, but it would take a, a while um I think to go into actually some of the things that he mentions in these essays about the finer details of the differences between uh, the solar, the sun worship of the Aztecs and the the Mayans versus um, this virgin. And the end of the one is a conclusion. Mm -hmm. And he. This is essay. Five or six. conquest and colonialism. I think so. It felt like you wrote this. Page ninety-four. Oh my god! The arrival of the Spaniards was interpreted not so, not so much as a threat from outside than as the internal conclusion of one cosmic period. Yes, and the commencement yes, yes, yes. of another. <laughs> yes. Wow. Oh man, that's you. That's you. Read this guy already, and you just stole all his ideas. <laughs> well, I hadn't read that yet, but. I'm on his trail. Uh, I'm on his trail. He, he got there before me. Before I was even born, probably. Um, yeah, well, he's right. He's right. And part of the reason why he's right is because he knows about cyclical time mm. and cyclical history. Now, he does kind of 
speak against it at certain points. Or maybe he's not speaking against it, but he's talking about how Catholicism took people out of cyclical time. Mm. So they had been in a cyclical time mindset when they were worshipping the sun, and then when Catholicism arrived, they got taken out of that, and time became linear for them. Oh, okay. Um, I think, I don't remember what essay that is in, but it's in essay five or six, I think five actually, where he talks about that. Um, But, okay, so here was one actually that I thought that you would like, because I know you were sending me some some clips during the week when you were when you were looking into pause. It says, uh, page 123, I don't know if your, pa- your pages are the same as mine. It says, the revolution of independence was a class war, and its nature cannot be understood correctly unless we recognize the fact that unlike what happened in South America, it was an agrarian revolt in gestation. So you're always talking about, you and Kai at least, talking about how one of the reasons why it's really hard to have political conversations in this country with any kind of precision is because we're not able or maybe even willing to properly identify what kind of conflict we're in, which you guys think and... I tend to agree, is a a class war. It's not a war of left and right, of uh, these various ideologies. Like, at one level, yes, we do have conflicting visions of morally, ethically, what should be going on in the country. But a lot of these things are actually material questions. And the real... They're material questions... Also, they're there to distract us mm. from who the real enemy is, which is the oligarchy. We're playing both sides off of one another, so that they don't see where the real yeah, and it's the real power is that they need to a reevaluate. St- a, s- a step above that, though, is that that same oligarchy sort of using the mechanisms of the religion they've created to. They used to just be able to force you with labor, force people with labor into mm-hmm. the where they needed to be. Mm-hmm. You needed to work. You, maybe even your children needed to go into the mine, right? You know, and there was for the force was physical force. As technology has revolutionized society, you really need to use the same oligarchs need to use a sort of. Wage their class warfare on the soul, man. Mm-hmm. So they've they've the program now is really to uproot their families and their cultures and their norms and their traditions to replace it with their religion, which they don't themselves follow. Right. They use to get. It's not so much that they're pinning us against each other, so much as they're disrupting all of the order that we use to find unity in. Right. So they're not. We're not. We're not fight. We're not fighting the neighbors because they believe this and we believe that. It's it's more that everything's disrupted to the point where we don't really know how to fight at mm. all. Mm. Um, some of that's even physical. 
Right. Very high estrogen counts. (laughs) No, really. Uh, uh, So that's, yes, it's a class war, but it's a spiritual one. Waged by the same people on everybody. And just some people are just, are organized weaponry on their behalf. Mm -hmm. That's the way I see it. I think that's the way Kai would see it, too. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, how else can... It's just such a strange, strange thing. I, I it, it makes sense to... I mean, how does it relate to that quote, though, that you delivered? From well, because... Agrarian <clears throat> roots. Well... Peasantry, sort of? The, the, the peasantry have been separated from having any stake in the actual land. Mm. So they're not landowners, they're always renters. They never they never have anything that's their own mm-hmm. because they'd also severed themselves from the earlier traditions, namely that one tradition that's it's like CULPIA, Culpia or something like that, wherein the family or the tribe owns a large piece of property together and they work it they have to work it in order to retain ownership you can't just which is actually in, uh, related to um, Henry George's land tax I think where I'm paraphrasing here and I read, I read an essay about it a very long time ago we should actually read that book at some point but the basic idea is to encourage the development of property and to discourage speculation on property. So you, under George's land tax idea, and you know someone listening can correct me, um, but the basic idea is if you just sit on property, you get taxed out the ass. Mm-hmm. But if you develop the property, you don't get taxed in any way at the same rate. Like, somehow the structure of the taxes are supposed to encourage development. And I think that's actually what this tradition for the Central and, well, at least for the Mexican natives, was supposed to do. Was, you have this land, and you get to keep it as long as you're working it. And maybe you pay like a minor tax, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So them having that tradition taken away from them and becoming wage slave serfs with no stake in the order of things was very bad. Did you send me the meme the other day? Was it you? What? <laughs> said, or somebody said, somebody posted a meme and it said, uh, peasantry in sudden medieval society, you know, had... This many holidays and oh no, I've seen like, that meme. Many you have less times holidays and less time off than a peasant from fourteen. Years. I know, I know. <laughs> Bannon likes to talk about that a lot. He likes to say that millennials are going to be serfs; they're never going to own anything. Is it wrong? Is it incorrect? I don't it's, think so. It's what it is, but it's it's like a it's, it's, if you can provide the illusion that these things are voluntary, right? That the, the, you've chosen this course, right? I don't, no, I didn't want kids. You know, I didn't want Right, right, right. I didn't want a home. I right. like having an apartment. I didn't want to get married. I didn't want to get married. I didn't want right. any of this right. stuff. Which oh, I'm free, which man. you know in medieval times would have been luxuries in a way. Like a way. you have to have some kind of status, some kind of ability 
some modicum of freedom, maybe at least from your lord, to get married, to have the resources, to have children, etc. But, okay, to get back to the quote, he's saying, Paz is saying, that their struggle is not necessarily with the current order of things. It's not it's not necessarily oh we we're not allowed to to own things under the current legal system or we don't have certain rights the struggle is that there are people there's a class of people who are exerting power over them and limiting their freedom in order to maintain a certain mm. well general lifestyle or status uh in relation to the other people. Now, of course, they have it for themselves, too. But it's a class war that is going on. And in acknowledging that it was a class war, they're actually able to treat the problem. If you can accurately diagnose the problem, then you can do something about it that's going to be meaningful and effective. But if you don't know what the heck problem you're dealing with is, then how do you treat it? Right. I'm not going to get into current health problems that people are talking about. <laughs> you take the vaccine, whoop speed, it's a great success. Oh my gosh, okay. man. Great success, whoop speed, you got the vaccine. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> Is that what you going to know? Yeah. Uh, well, I know, I feel a bit overwhelmed with this, the rest of this. Uh the um, the entirety of this book because like you said there's so many seeds and you can just kind of plant the whole garden with the one um, to just sort of spotlight some of these ideas um, what do you think of this one Paz says In a certain sense, they carried on the efforts of the first leaders. This is, um, let's see, people during the revolution. Uh, Hidalgo and Morelos. But their criticism of the order of things was directed less toward a change of reality than toward a change of legislation. Almost all of them believed with an optimism inherited from the encyclopedia that to transform reality it was sufficient to pass new laws mm. which is a very American thing American he goes on to thing. say they saw the United States as a model and thought that its prosperity was due to the excellence of its republican institutions hence their federalism as opposed to the centralism of the conservatives and you know you could get into the whole like Tocqueville thing there where Tocqueville does a real treatment of why you have American exceptionalism, and it's not complete. Of course, it's in part due to the laws, but it has a lot more to do with the character, the kind of person that was an American and that would go to America to become an American. Right. But in particular, the Anglo Americans. Mm hmm. Anyway, um, what were you saying? No, um,. That's that's interesting. You, you know, it's again though that goes back to its identity crisis mm -hmm. in looking to America to establish its identity. Mm 
through its through its laws. And it is very American, you know. People will follow laws here. That this is the reason in America you don't have the same types of revolutions and uprisings that many countries in South America have had over the last century. Right. Other than CIA involvement in those, but but you know they're they're the CIA has preyed upon energies that exist right right we we could have the whole world here we could have everything stolen here from us and still follow the law as americans you know we talk like if it just got a little worse if it just got a little worse and it's gotten so much worse (laughs) since saying since the first time an american man said if it just gets a little worse, it has gotten a little worse about a thousand times. Right. But Americans follow the law. Right. To the end of their demise, really. Right. And I think that when you're trying to establish tradition or identity, you want to be able to say that, hey, we have a, a nation of, we're a nation of laws. Because really, laws do matter. If you're not a nation of laws, you, you really are without your identity. Right. Um, but you have to have your identity first. Right. Well, you have to have a, a pre-political we. That's right. You have to have... And, and Roger Scruton talks about that. In, you know, in, in the Americas, we just kind of came, conquered, erased, and established. Mm-hmm. Jamestown and Virginia and all of these colonies. It was like, this is what we're becoming. Right. Mexico, it just seems as though Catholicism... Injected via Spain, right? Yeah, there was no was just, grand vision. It's it, like, okay, we're here like, now. Now, what do we do? It was like a plopping a rock in a field, and, and but just also, saying, here's yeah. this rock. And then, like, what do we do with it? And then they just kind of left the rock in the field. Well, Paz talks about how Catholicism is inherently uh, antagonistic toward individuality and originality. Here it is, folks. Here he comes. Pro-Catholic. I'll stop there. <laughs> no, no, no. I found the quote. Towards originality? Yeah, he says they don't like originality and they don't like individuality because they already have a, a fully formed tradition. And okay, so you have uh, some new things that were written in the 20th century a little bit, but they're really clarifications. The, the main thing is... Um, you join the Catholic faith and you're kind of absorbed into the mother and you disappear as an individual. All the answers are already they've right. already they already have all the answers. But There's that no also, thinking for you anymore. But that you but just that go through the motions. Absorption now. into the mother is lost when actual relationships are formed with women mm-hmm. by the men. Right. So like now they only have the one mother, the virginal mother, and then the uh, the rest of the women are ruined to them. Mm. You know, so you can't build a society on that belief. Yeah, it's that there's only one good woman in the world. Right, right, right. Or right, you know, there's only one good woman, and her name is Mary, and her name is and Maria. You can't see her, yeah, Maria, 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 and she will be painted. <laughs> Let me read this extensive quote to you from Paz. He says, "The Zapatista movement attempted to rectify the history of Mexico and the very meaning of our existence as a nation." a program quite different from the historical project of the liberals. The Zapatistas did not conceive of Mexico as a future to be realized, but as a return to origins. Yeah, that was, a, that was what I was alluding to 
later. I was trying to remember it. That's what the identity is. It's it's to be oriented toward the future, right? In some way. He goes on, the radicalism of the Mexican Revolution consisted in its originality, that is, in its return to our roots, the only proper basis for our institutions. When the Zapatistas made the calpuli, the basic element in our economic and social structure, they not only salvaged the valid portion of the colonial tradition, but also affirmed that any political construction, if it is to be truly productive, must derive from the most ancient, stable, and lasting part of our national being, the indigenous past. Zapata's traditionalism reveals that he had a profound awareness of our history. He was isolated both racially and regionally from the journalists and theorists of the epoch. And this isolation gave him the strength and insight to grasp the simple truth. And the truth of the revolution was actually very simple. It was the freeing of Mexican reality from the constricting schemes of liberalism and the abuses of the conservatives and neoconservatives. Uh, just a little more. The Zapatista movement was a return to our most ancient and permanent tradition. It was a profound denial of the work of the reform, in that it was a return to the very world from which the liberals had wanted to cut themselves loose. The revolution became an attempt to integrate our present and our past, or, as Leopoldo Zea put it, to assimilate our history, to change it into a living thing, a past made present. This effort at integration, this return to sources, contrasts with the attitude of the intellectuals of the time, who not only failed to understand the meaning of the revolutionary movement, but even went on playing with ideas that had no function whatsoever except as masks. That's not only the intellectuals of the time, though. Right. That's really what intellectualism is. Right. It's always playing with mass. Right. This is, this is, they're always playing with ideas because there's no work in the tangible. Right. And this is, that's really the problem. <laughs> right. <laughs> with those people molding our society. Now, I, w- I would hesitate to throw intellectuals completely under the bus <clears throat> because... Well, the world as it is has been built by ideas, by the creation, cultivation, spread of ideas. It just so happens that there is a breed of intellectual who is completely useless and is more interested in witty, pretty turns of phrase than actually getting anything meaningful done. And he he says... uh, that the real intellectual, he probably says it, you know, further on down here, but he says that the real intellectual is the one who provides a vision for the future. That's the real intellectual. And we know that because Paz was an intellectual. But how do you know when you're doing that versus when you think you're doing that? You know, let's, well, let's it has to do with preserving the past. And, and is it is it is it a sovereign idea of the future? Or is it a globalist idea of the future because our intellectuals are globalist ideas right. of the future fight climate change as a globe well it's not even a fight. A, that's but that's a that's a that's a looking to it's the future a front it's a mask for preserving past institutions that are no longer relevant that's true that's interesting and, but it's also these things are also built on what Paz says freedom <clears throat> and equality were 
He says it's right. like, in my book, 128. They're, they're empty concepts, which, you know, ideas with no other concrete historical content than that given by them by social relationships. Right. As Marx demonstrated. He had some good quotes in here from Marx. Yeah. What was it? He wasn't really a Marxist. No. But he wasn't an... He was staunch, you know, so it, it's you can use a philosopher without being fully in their camp. Of course. Marx clearly was a genius of sorts, uh, in part because at least, let's say you've never read anything of him. Of course he was a genius. Him, at least because he, he has been so influential in the world. Mm. You can't deny the significance of the of the thinking of the man. No. Anyone who is that influential must be dealing oh, he's with brilliant. truth. Of course. He now, do I think he was a raging Satanist sicko? Yeah. <laughs> also that. But you know, he was brilliant. Well, he did his his work has, you know, contributed to the deaths of millions. The deaths of millions and the hope of millions too, which is interesting. Yeah, before they died. <laughs> Well, the socialist isn't the same as the communist. Yeah, but, but they're the working com- from the same source materials. Ah, that's where I disagree. <laughs> well, I do. I, you know, I, I with Marx, I disagree because I think that's I think that's so any type of socialism has to have a Christian. I would say Christian. It's the only way it's going to work. It has to have a Christian value system applied to it. You can't have an atheistic. Marxism, yeah, running your society, you all end up in the camp, you know. I there's a a fellow named Taleb who you probably know. You know Taleb, no Nicholas Nassim, I think it is. No Nassim Nicholas, whatever. Who is he? Is he a person alive? He wrote the book Anti Fragile. You've heard of it, no? Oh gosh, good for you. Anyway, I've purposefully not read any of these books just because I don't want to. I don't want that language to be part of my vernacular. I don't want to be going uh, around saying, you got to make this thing anti-fragile, man. Fragility. But anyway, why was I, why did I bring him <laughs> I don't up? know, you just uh, uh, the bug. It had something to do with what we just said. What were we saying? Uh, Marx and talking about oh, socialism. hopes of millions right, and so dreams Right, so Taleb has this idea, which is actually quite good, where he says that Socialism isn't all bad. It's just bad at a national level. What you need is you need to realize that socialism only works within a family that is biologically connected. And it ceases to work when you try to apply it to social relationships at larger scales. And so he has like five scales of This discounts the labor elements though. Which is uh, yeah. You know, but that's really the focus of socialism. Well, in the family the child has a right to the labor of the parents. Mm, okay. Because the child didn't ask and this is kind of like John Locke, the child did not ask to be brought into the world. Right. Um so which is its whole its own whole thing. But Jesus did. Uh, it's also interesting. Send me down, Dad. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, it's interesting that in the Communist Manifesto, 
in order to get eventually to socialism and then communism, you have to destroy the family. Well, it's in the which, communist which is yeah. right, which is the inherently socialist unit. That's the only unit where socialism well, actually works. As Kai mentioned, it's not even that it's socialist; huh. it's more so that it's it is the first line of defense against the capitalist. As well, a strong family unit mm-hmm. is is um, is the it really is a form of resistance to materialism. Think about who's stolen. Think about who's stolen your time, your your family time. It's it's the boss. It's the corporation has pulled people further and further into the cubicle. Well, in the same way that capitalism thinks that money solves all problems. Right, socialism and communism both also think that money solves all problems. Yeah, it's too material. It's That's why freedom and equality, liberal are, materialism, freedom and equality are not real ideas. Right. That's that's actually that's what he's what he's saying. Right. What does that mean? Freedom from what? For who? In what way? What yeah. is it? Equ- equality how? measured how? Right. Equal equality for who? Right. But measured by what? What's the litmus test? What yes. is the these aren't actual ideas. Before the law, which is arbitrary. That's right. And now, whether or not we like it, there's a real idea in Mary. There really is. Right. You know, there's an idea there that's just, it's tangible. It, it's, it's, it's... Um, they it sell plants copies itself. of her on the corner. Right. <laughs> it, it plants itself in the consciousness Equality, if I say to a thousand, thousand guys, what does equality do? They're going to give you a thousand answers, you know. Right. Oh, the, well, everybody gets the same paycheck, or everybody has equal access to uh, jobs, or everybody should be able to equally, you know, get through high school. Or, but it's not really an idea. And this right. is what our intellectuals play with too much. Right. And this is, this is why you can't really build... The, the socialist society on just the ideas of it itself. Right. Um, that's why I think Thomas More was a little bit closer to the I- original idea of it, that you, you could only build this, that society if you truly impl- implement Christ's values, the Gospels. And it will build itself. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're a society living by the Gospels, you will be a socialist, socialist society to a degree. You're not going to be this cubicle society where you're all in debt, you know? Perhaps. But it's not going to be about freedom, equality. It's going to be about the Gospels, where the real ideas are. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I I just don't know if I'm convinced of some kind of Christian utopia. No, it's not a utopia, though. Well, you just cited Thomas More. Well, that's that's yes. He but he had ideas about it outside of his work. Uh, but um, the problem is that it just violates the logic of property. This is this is the main problem. The only way that it really works is when you have like very ethnically homogenous societies where everybody's like, yeah, we're related. We have the same history. We're all speaking the same language. Okay. They're like okay but with what is it. Like the, like the Nordic countries, where they're all clearly of the same ethnicity. And this is, I can hear um, some of these lectures I've listened to recently echoing. Like, what is what is ethnic? Is it yeah, yeah, racial every, diversity? Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, everyone wants to make this stupid distinction. It's basically the same damn thing, in my opinion. 
But are you not of the same sort of ethnicity? Yeah, if, we're all if you have a, human if race. you have the same culture and the same religious affiliations, you're you're closer an ethnic group than if than I would be to an Eastern Siberian. If sure, you know. well, you could say that everybody in the West, from Europe triangulating out to North and South America through Central America is all of the same ethnos. Mm-hmm. Because we all literally do have the same ethnos who is the the core shamanic figure at the center of the of the structure of the civilization and from which the pattern of the civilization emanates outward and that ethnos is right. Jesus. So... Okay, it does that mean that you know Anglo Americans and Mexican, like Indian Mexican, Central Americans, mm-hmm. are the same ethnicity? I don't know. I, mm. It's weird. I'm saying that socialism. <laughs> it's a hard thing. Why hasn't it ever worked, bro? Why do you keep trying? It's insanity. Trying the same thing over and over again. Every time expecting a different result. I think that the, a lot of the countries in the world they just are didn't, shades of it. They just didn't do it right. It's You're reminding me of this meme. No, the crying face meme we're guy. We're shades of it. The cry face meme guy. Like, just one more time. No, 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 no. <laughs> just one more no, time, No, society's already it's shade- work this time, bro. We're not a, li- a libertarian laissez-faire capitalist society as it is we have shades know, of, we are. are shades of socialism and it's it's we have it's corporate so- socialism because they keep betting against the whole market no. they fail and then we bail them out multiple but times but there is something to be said for hey we have a fire department right and we pool our money in it there, there really is something to be said yeah for but it. that's not socialism because people don't own the fire department no there's no shared ownership over it but in, in a way that's that's uh it's so shared that the idea of property is abolished in the fire department. Gosh. No, in a way, I mean, you can make that <coughs> argument, you know. Um, but um, people love that argument. Well, you already have a police force. See, you're already social. Well, no, there are elements of it. There's no, there are privatized police force. We can make the distinction right. between hey, there's a there's a right. black, um, not black rock. What is that? Uh, what was that? If you have certain fundamental things that everybody puts, I mean, it's basically like. Um, I don't know, it's like an HOA, but for your county mm-hmm. or whatever. Like, okay, so you have a police force, but you're not socialist. You right. you did maybe participate in some little thing in order that could be loosely defined as a socialist program. But that doesn't mean that your society is all What really has given socialist. us what has given us this great tradition of fast food parking lots and strip malls of socialism? Ugliness? You think that, really? <laughs> no, what has given us that? I think a lot of the rejection of what our society has become would be, it would be too simple even to say it's rejection of capitalism, right? Because it's like saying I reject freedom and equality. This isn't a real idea to reject. It's a rejection of replacement Well, so tradition. many things, so many things, right? It's fast food. How does fast food even exist? Cars. You can't have fast food without cars. There's no fast food culture if we don't have drive-thrus. So it, they're very much predicated on cars, mm-hmm. but then they're also predicated on speed. Right. Why do people feel like they need to get something really quick and cheap? Mm-hmm. 
It's because we're, we're, we've become so efficient that we're just completely squeezed for time and for quality. So yeah. we have we have no time. We have no quality. We're like, well, I just got to get I got to get the, the calories, man. It doesn't matter about the quality. I need the quantity of of calories. A philosophy of order. It's just hot. I, don't know. <laughs> I just read it from here. <laughs> Where are you on what page? The epic of peace, the epoch of peace, required a philosophy of order. That's really true. It's hyper order. Hyper order. It's too much. It's too much order. And this positivism, which really I would argue is uh, my understanding of his positivism, which is really a lot of what we're just talking about right now, gives you nothing at all. He says this on page 133. That it merely revealed the principles of liberalism and all the nakedness as lovely but inapplicable words. That's such a shot. It's a pot shot. Um... And after a hundred years of struggle, the people find themselves more alone than ever. I think we should tackle this as the concluding point sure, here. Sure. More alone than ever with their religious life impoverished and their popular culture debased. Bam! And that's exactly what American life is. And this is the problem. And this is the, the, the people are so caught up in the socialism, capitalism conversation that the real conversation is about exactly that your debased culture. Right, the impoverishment of your religious life. Um, yeah, and we can blame strip malls and WalMarts on capitalism, but is it really that, or is it, or is it that deeper? Oh, it's values. It's the deeper oh, spiritual yeah. life that is that is uh, bankrupt in, in this in this country. Right, and that's you know something. It has you have to have a spiritual force. Guiding your country. Right. This is why I said earlier to you when we were talking in the chat, I don't believe in God. Or I don't not be- I don't believe in God because of some sort of proof I found in the words of Aquinas. Right. Or in uh, the book of Job. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. <laughs> like that guy was listing who have read yeah, all yeah, this stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. I believe in it because I've seen society without it. Right. And I feel that. Right. I and, you know, this is the one thing and this is the one thing in your life. That you're supposed to trust your feelings on. I really think this is where this is where you don't yeah. use logos here. You're supposed to say, "Man, I just I can I can sense society being sad and lonely and yes. isolated and depressed." You have to use your intuition. You have to use your intuition. Faith is the embodiment uh, of intuition. Mm-hmm. And um, well, it's the use of intuition to, to try and discover. Well, the problem, one of the problems, that I'll keep this short. No, this should be our big, with our, the, 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 our, the topic of solitude now. How, what does this mean for solitude, you know, isolation? So one, one of the problems with uh, cosmic skeptic, I'll call him out, and he, he'll never listen to this. It doesn't matter. But one of the problems with that clip that we were sharing in the chat, yeah, that I shared, was that uh, he's maybe unbeknownst to himself very much within the paradigm of propositional thinking he's like he's he thinks that god is some set of propositions Mm -hmm. and that in every set of propositions that we're supposed to describe how or who god is there's always been some failure of logic 
And for that reason, because there's that failure and because this, because propositions about the world are the only, um, meaningful or useful epistemological way to discern what is true or real about the world, therefore there is no God. And that is a vacuous position to hold because propositions are only one kind of knowledge. There's also procedural knowledge. Mm. There's experiential knowledge. Uh, there's a, a fourth one. I think there are four main kinds of of knowledge um, that are relevant there. And so, to say, oh, well, because this this proposition has problems, and therefore I don't believe God in, that there's a God. It's just it's very uh, narrow thinking. I read the book. Where's my answer? What is that? No, that's that's the idea behind. Oh it. right, right. I read the book. Where's my answer? I read Aquinas's views on the it, natural it, law, and I should now feel like God is real. Where's my answer? Sounds like an airport airport atheism atheism book. It's just it, it, it's really once you zoom out what Sam Harris does with you know when you're 18 and you think you're clever, Sam Harris seems like a brilliant mind, and then you get older. And you realize he's just one of those guys. Well, you know, um, I can't, I can't prove that uh, you know consciousness doesn't exist and leave the body. But uh, I can say by the way that everything is predetermined. That neurons fire. There, there's no Ooh. such thing as freedom. You have no free choice. And then the fact that that same guy eventually said, you know, something like, I don't care if. Biden and I was children just thinking about that. Yeah. tied up in a basement. Yeah. I'm like, oh yeah, it makes sense that you. Yeah, this have is your whole ideology. This is your whole. This is your whole thing. And I used to respect <clears> the guy, <throat> but I don't anymore. You know, the only one of those horsemen I respect is Hitchens, and he's Hitchens. dead. The the atheist horseman. He's finally at peace. <laughs> I loved Hitchens. I like his brother. I Peter, like too. Hitchens too. I like both of them. I think. I'm just getting rid of his book. Maybe you want it. But it was, it was, what is it? Athe- his atheism collection, like collection of... God's Not Great? No, it's right? a different one. I'll, I'll, I'll send you a picture. Uh, sure. It's a paperback, though. It? You hate paperbacks. I, a, I, read, I, I thumbed through it. I have a few of his books. They're all paperbacks. Well, there's a couple hardcovers, but... Yeah. Um, so, to, to, to finish this thought, what is solitude? What is what is this idea of solitude? What is a labyrinth to begin with? You know, let's let's go right to the title. A labyrinth is a you know is sort of a maze or a walk or you know, well, it's a, a mythic uh, structure meant to keep in a a, uh, a bull-headed man, or is it a bull? No, I'm mm. forgetting. Okay, who, who eats people? That's that's the origin of labyrinth. Interesting, but in this case, a labyrinth of solitude. Yeah, well, it's this thing that you get lost in. There's actually a labyrinth at that Episcopal church up the road. I've wanted to walk. But in. what does it mean to be? Yes, at the lake. Yeah, yeah. Is that what you're talking about? No, 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 not at the lake. However, I didn't know there's one at the lake. It's that's this the one's Episcopal up, church. This one's up by uh, the cafe. There's an Episcopal church downtown? Yeah. It's the softest church. 
They're Episcopalians. <laughs> hey, it's a very a traditional American church. It's basically the American Anglican. Yeah. Well, um, yeah. So, to but say solitude. That, what is solitude? Solitude. Solitude is. It's always a challenge. It's a challenge. It, but it's it's the the act or the moment of being content in one's aloneness. Mm-hmm. Something like that. Are you content in solitude? So, there's a content. Uh, Element to that? I don't know. I think so. Because I think that the, what he—it's different than loneliness. Solitude is not loneliness. Loneliness is includes longing. But there solitude. Is, there is an experience of isolation in solitude, though, and that can, of course you are technically isolated, as in you're cut off, which is probably the the negative element of it, but. I think at least in the American English idiom, to embrace solitude or to be experiencing solitude is uh, generally something that's okay. Not if it's confinement. <laughs> right. <clears throat> and that can- Which I think is why they have to add that word, confinement, to it in order to give it the bad connotation. Because otherwise, it's... It's kind of like a healing thing to go and have solitude, to be in solitude. Usually people are, they're doing it for like medicinal purposes. Right. I don't know. What do you think? Well, I think there's two ways to look at solitude. I think in this context, it is a condition of a, of a people who have been in sort of an eternal, not, or not eternal, but, uh, indefinite search for identity mm-hmm. and in that search they are isolated and that's the labyrinth I think but if solitude is a voluntary experience it's it takes on a different character because right we have you have the monk the monks go into solitude and that's a religious experience right. but I think that's far different than the solitude that is that is enrapturing the Mexican man Right down to this first essay on the Pachuco, right? Is that the word? Yeah. Uh, you know, talking about these people who are caught in sort of a spiritual purgatory. Right. And that's really what it is, right? That's what the that's what the whole thing is here. This has been this is a spiritual purgatory of an entire national identity, mm-hmm. or the identities, and the, the identity is the purgatory. Mm, yeah, and no, that's, that's the right. solitude. And you think about think about Dante's Inferno. Purgatory is is the most solitude oriented place to be. The people in the nine circles of hell. Yeah, and then we'll go to Catholic text here. In, in the circles of hell, they're not alone in their suffering necessarily. No, the most of them are in the fields of uh, the the lakes of blood and fire, but they're with others. Mm-hmm. Purgatory is the place of sort of eternal contemplation and solitude. Interesting. And so the, to be in the purgatory... Well, you're not there forever, right? You're there for a time. I suppose. I don't know enough about Catholic No, but it, uh, well, you, you, theology. I've read parts of the Inferno. I haven't read it all. Oh, I've only read the first part. But if you just think about the, the metaphor three. of... 
Yeah, purgatory is that that. Is, but to be in the purgatory of your identity, mm-hmm. as is yeah, you're waiting. Place. You're waiting to, and you're trying things. F- figure out where am I going to go? How am I? You know, you, you're you're trying you're trying things out. <clears throat> uh, Diaz is, comes along and says, "I'll answer the call," but it doesn't work really. Right, right. And then there's um. You know, he mentions uh, some other names in here. Um, Santa Anna. He does. Uh, he meant, you said the Zapatistas. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The C word that you had mentioned earlier, by the way, was Calpuli. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Uh, Calpuli. Um, and uh, you know, but he, he sort of drops all these names. Of it, it's it, by the middle of this book, it's a, it's a historical journey into different people who try to answer the call to alleviate that sort of purgatory <clears throat> to say hey Lord, or get them out of it right get them out of it or yeah here's one final block quote from him do it our revolution is the other face of mexico ignored by the reform and humbled by the dictatorship it is not the face of courtesy of dissimulation or form imposed by means of lies and mutilations. It is the brutal, resplendent face of death and fiestas, of gossip and gunfire, of celebration and love, which is rape and pistol shots. The revolution has hardly any ideas. It is an explosion of reality, a return and a communion, an upsetting of old institutions, a releasing of many ferocious, tender, and noble feelings that had been hidden by our fear of being. And with whom does Mexico commune in this bloody fiesta? With herself, with her own being. Mexico dares to exist, to be. The revolutionary explosion is a prodigious fiesta in which the Mexican, drunk with his own self, is aware at last in a mortal embrace of his fellow Mexican. So the alleviation is the embrace of the fellow person in the culture, mm-hmm. not the isolation from. Right. <clears throat> not the constant infighting. Sure. Wow. Apply that to America, the United mm-hmm. States. Mm-hmm. The only alleviation is to embrace. Love one another. Love your neighbor as yourself. Which apply the Gospels. Hey, I'm, on, I'm on board with the Sermon on the Mount, my friend. I Who just, could honestly read that and think that's not the way we should live? I, mean, I agree. Especially the, you know, the debt slavery. <laughs> True. I agree. I agree. So, yeah, I think the United States has entered this interesting phase where it is now, and it's, it's almost in its Mexican phase. <laughs> according to this, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. according to this book, it's like, this could be our country, you know? Yeah. This wasn't our country, but it is our country right now. True. We're, while we're facing the same question, which is, what is the vision of the future that we're supposed to embrace in order to be able to move forward? Because the old vision, which was globalism, oh, if if we just took capital and opened all the markets of the world and had a global market and policed the seas, then the world would be paradise. Seems and like we'd you sound all be like me and Kai right now. What is, what is your what is your position? <laughs> because globalism is laissez-faire. You know, I think it's it's bad. 
Yeah, it's it's the worst. It's it's terrible it's for everybody. The worst thing yeah. spiritually for us, materially for the nations that are on the labor end of it. It's it's exactly well also because it produces rubbish. And so that's that is feeds and us spiritually. It, and it hollows out. Poverty. It hollows out everyone. Everyone has to become specialists. Like no country can sustain itself on its own produce because. Well, some other country mm. at some point in time previously decided to become a specialist in producing the cheapest version of that thing. Right. And so the industry for that thing doesn't exist anywhere else anymore. Like steel here. Mm-hmm. We used to be the steel people. Now it's China and whoever else. It's not the same quality. Right. Which there are reasons for that. But China is not a specialist. That's an interesting thing. They're not really a specialist nation. No, because they want to rule the world, so they're they're making everything. But they'll never rule the world. I I believe that you're correct. I don't think they want to rule the world. I don't believe that about China. I'm not a pro-China guy, but I'm not I'm not this guy. I'm not all hopped up on the anti-China. No, I I agree. I actually don't think they want to rule the world either. But I do think that they want to be one of the biggest players, which is fine because they literally have the biggest population. And they also have the sphere of territory that someone is going to be that player there. Right. I don't think that that's a sphere that we should also, be the player in. I will say, I do think that it's good for us to have one or two serious competitors because it makes us take things seriously. In theory. Like, in theory. Well, because you can't just get away. You can't be sloppy because somebody's going to... We've been very sloppy. We've been so sloppy. <laughs> we've been traveling with the ball. Yeah, yeah, out yeah, of bounds. yeah. Yeah, we've been doing LeBron stuff. Hanging out in the locker room while the game's going on, you know? It's bad. But no more, no more taking three and four steps and like thinking that basketball is football. This stuff is bad. Right. Yeah. So... Well, I really enjoyed this book. I did too. Um, Probably will be one I revisit, to be quite honest. Same. I made so many highlights. Yeah. Really, actually, what I wanted to say, I was saying this before we hopped on the broadcast, was that I feel as though I've read a history of Mexico Mm -hmm. in reading this book. I thought that it was going to be just some guy's takes you know, but it's much more than that, and it's chronological. He he does essays on mm-hmm. on from the time of the conquistadors up to the present day, and he does them in order. And each one is amazing. And it's Octavio Paz was probably one of the best historians of the twentieth century. I'd put him right up there with Will Durant. Um, he's incredible. Interesting you say that. I saw a bunch of Durant books today. Oh, yeah? In that antique store. Oh, really? It's all over the store. I think the people who own the store... Which ones do you have? I got them up there. Oh, you have them all? Pretty much. Most of them. Yeah, I've known you've had a few, but... I've read some of them. I don't know. I haven't read them all. I haven't read them, but... Yeah. I've read read parts of at least every one of those. Nice. But, um... Yeah, I think I think this is a really this is a way to read history that is it you can attach to because 
reading raw history like Durant is very difficult. Sure. It's really... The way that I, I prefer to do it is to... I will also say that Napoleon's book... You like like the sweeping analysis. I like no, that I like too. It, I like it to have a literary story sure. embedded in it like sure. this sort of does. Yeah. Or like the book on Napoleon sort of... It's giving you the historical accounts of Napoleon's journey from right. Corsica through... All the way through Russia and his fall and right. his isolation in Helena or where, where, the island where Helena, I think it is or whatever. Mm-hmm. And you're on, you're on. It's it's like uh, Mussolini's rise and fall, which is another great history. Mm-hmm. You're getting, you're getting an emotional telling of a man experiencing a life. Yeah, you're not getting. Here's a year. Here's when this book was written. It was about this. Right. It's not facts. It's it's not it's narrative. So you have to go to the primary sources usually. But if a history can 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 be a primary literary source and history, mm-hmm. man, that's that's special, you know. And I think that that book, this book does that. Um, like I said, that book Napoleon does that. Um, sometimes letters do that. Yeah, Van Gogh's letters uh, right up there to his brother. Yep, tale. Mm-hmm. Excellent. I mean, you get the you get the scope of the man through those letters. You can mm-hmm. get only so much through the paintings, right? You read the book, the letters. You're feeling out his relationships, his struggles, his eccentric, eccentricity. Yes, uh, his ability to fail. You know, um, yeah. Which brings up a maybe a final question, mm. which is: in the beginning, we were talking about how. Let's say if you encounter a philosopher, maybe if you want to know what he really thinks, you should read his poetry or his novels. If you encounter a novelist, a person who is primarily a novelist, maybe if you want to really know what they thought, you should read their letter, their personal letters. Well, maybe there's a thing with different nations where if you really want to get to know England, you should read England's best literature. If you want to get to know Italy, on the other hand, you should probably go look at the architecture. Okay. If you want to get to know Germany, you should listen to the music. You know, I think that's true for Germany. I think for Italy, you could almost you could almost say almost anything about them. You could say architecture. You could say yeah, painting. Of course, that's part of the architecture. Really, right. if you go to the cathedrals or yeah, basilica in Rome or whatever. yeah. Oh, but. Uh, well, yeah. maybe maybe there isn't a you're best right. way. But you're right about Germany. That's funny. You said there's the best. I I agree with that. Bach and sure. uh, you know the great comp- comp- composers. Uh, isn't that that's strange? And then what is Mexico's? Maybe her literature. Maybe we're gonna keep we're gonna keep looking. I think for more. Of course, especially if things are south of the border in general. I mean, like we said, the big one, Gabriel Garcia Marquez, and, but there's others. There are others, you know. Yeah, I think uh, Cortazar is coming up. Some point. Cool. Well, we're going to read uh, on this note as we jump. We're going to read something modern pretty soon. I think it's going. Yeah, be, yeah. We got to get back into. It's so, going to be pretty fun. I, I think we're going to something from the past thirty years, maybe fifty. Oh, years. I'm saying in the past. I want to read something that's just come out. Oh yeah. I'm not going to name yeah. it. I'm not going to name it right now. We'll just kind of do it when, it, when we do it. <laughs> but that's going to be good. I, and then uh, we'll not name it now because we don't even own it. At this. Yeah, we got to pick it up. We got to pick it up. But. Uh, 
that's going to be fun. I think that's going to be really fun. And uh, it would be fun to have Kai back down for that one. Oh, yeah. But for next week's... What do we'll we wanna, figure it out. What do we want to talk about? I don't know. I we, say movie. We'll just say right now we might do The Whale. Oh, if, yeah, yeah, if, yeah. If we, I've, I've heard great reviews about The Whale. So have I. Ramsey and Elisa were like, this movie would make you cry. Yeah, I want to watch it. I do, too. I like Brendan Fraser. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's sort of his big comeback role. Yeah. Not comeback, but he's known for The Mummy. You know, right. maybe now he can be known the for... The Mummy was great. <laughs> Yeah, it was fun. Um, I so I guess mummy. it could be a movie. It could be a short story next week. Uh, we're just looking around. It won't be a book. <laughs> but it could be a short story. But it could be a short story for sure. Uh, we should just do Kai's short story. <laughs> Which one? We should read Kai's short story. Which one is it? It's the one going into the Sentimental Press book. Oh, hilarious. Oh, cool. Yeah, why not? Just read it. Ah, but I do want to do the movie. Uh, well, when's the book come out? Yeah, that's about done. I aim to have it done. I keep pushing it back, but I've gotten, I've just got so many creative ideas for it that when I'm working in it, I end up doing these things within it that take me time. Photoshop things. Yes, yes. Doesn't that happen? It does, but it's. it's I was doing that this. Week I can too. show you. You know, I'll show you some of this yeah, stuff yeah, when we hop off. So we don't have a definitive text or film, but for next week, but we have some ideas. All right. Signing thanks, off. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Mi manera de sentir todavía la gente no la ha entendido. Entonces, pues, yo no la he hecho cuenta. Yo voy a mi aire.